0: Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. My name is Chris Roll. I need to lead today's show with a confession because this show is part platform, part confessional booth. You will all be my priest today. I have been live betting preseason NFL games. I'm not proud of this. That's why I bring it up out of the gate. So if some of you need to just turn this podcast off and, and wait till next week for another one, I will not judge you for it. I have been live betting NFL preseason games that is how bad I need football in my life and honestly it's been quite enjoyable that's you know that the calendar is about the start to mid-August because I can taste real football around the corner which we're gonna get inside the month and yet it seems really far away to the point where I have to bet preseason games so I want you all to know that it's just a nice sign of trust that I want to build up between you the listener and me the person who's talking so, do with that information what you will. Hopefully, you can grant me absolution as today's priest on this confessional booth. And now let's get into today's show because I want to talk about the upcoming college football season. I want to talk about cyclical power struggles of individual teams where they rise and they fall and we're going to trace that through the past and I want to talk about how it applies to the 2022 season. Yeah. You never really know that a reign of power is going to end until it's over. Um, I'm kind of shocked by how quickly things can end. That's true in every facet of life for me, but I think it's really easy to understand and quite easy to trace through my original sporting love, which is college football. It's really prominent within that sport. Just teams that are everything, they're the anchor of the sport, and we watch them for a year and then five years and then 10 years or 20 years or sometimes even longer than that. And they're always there and they're always good. And then suddenly they're not, you know, at the snap of the fingers. And a lot of times when the snap happens, we all just assume it's a blip because why wouldn't we? This team has been awesome for five years or 10 years or 20 years, and maybe they had three game losing streak or a rough season, or then suddenly t- two rough seasons. And we go, that's fine they'll Circle the wagons. They'll be good again. Just next year, they got quarterback X coming in and they just changed their offensive coordinator and their offense was struggling. So now they'll be fine. And then you go through five years or 10 years or sometimes 20 years or sometimes more. And you go, Oh, this is weird that this team that was just a complete powerhouse within the sport of college football is now not, you know, and I can speak from personal experience because I lived that as a Nebraska fan. I get into the sport in that team in the height of their powers. They're winning three national championships in four years. Tom Osborne's retiring in 1997, going out on top after that third national title. Just seems like it's going to go on forever. And they hire from within. Frank Solich becomes the head coach. Nebraska's awesome in 1999. I still to this day believe that that was the best team in the nation. And if they were given a chance to play either Virginia Tech or Florida State, who ended up winning the title, Nebraska would have proven to be the best team. They lost. In a really funky game at Texas that year, they avenged it in the Big 12 title game and pounded on them. I think it was 22-6. Just suffocating defense, awesome ground game. You know the story with Nebraska. Neither here nor there. The point was they transitioned to Solich, and I'm going, well, well, we're fine. 1999, I think we're the best team in the nation. We'll go on. 2000, great. We're doing good. 2001, we're undefeated going up until what, in retrospect, was the finger-snap moment. Day after Thanksgiving against Colorado. Again, Nebraska is undefeated. Eric Crouch is quarterback. He goes on to win the Heisman Trophy that year. They're running over teams. They're doing what they've always done in my life. And much beyond that, considering it in 2001, I was only 15 years old, and Nebraska's success dated back to 1970. They go into Colorado. Colorado's really, they're a good football team that year, but I'm just going, yeah, we'll beat Colorado. We're fine, you know. That's what Nebraska does. And the next thing you know, Colorado's breaking off a 40-yard run for a touchdown and an 80-yard run for a touchdown. And Chris Brown's doing whatever he wants. And Nebraska's down by a bunch. And I'm going, oh, well, uh. And they make a little push, and Colorado's running for a 40-yard touchdown. They're running for an 80-yard touchdown. Next thing you know, I'm sitting there shell-shocked. Colorado scored 62 points. They've run for eight touchdowns in the game, over 350 yards. It was just a hammer dunking, true hammer dunking. Which, again, I was stunned because I'd never, never, That's not an exaggeration. I had never watched a Nebraska game like that. I'd watched them lose intermittently here and there. And sometimes that wouldn't happen for multiple years. But when they would lose, it wasn't just a complete blasting. You know, the closest I could remember was 1996. They played at Arizona State. They lost 19 to zero, but it was a funky game. And that Arizona State team was really good. They ended up making the Rose Bowl that year, barely lost the end to Ohio State. I never watched Nebraska just
1: get completely Thumped, which is what this Colorado game was. So I write it up to it's a blip, you know. It's one game. It's a little bit
0: scarring. We'll move on. It's fine. Nebraska somehow backs their way into the national title game that year because Colorado goes on to lose in the Big Twelve title game. A bunch of other things have to happen. They all happen. Nebraska, after losing their final game of the season and not playing in the Big Twelve title game, moves back up to play 2001 Miami team, which is one of, if not the greatest, college football teams of all time. Definitely the greatest collection of NFL talent on a college roster. They just slap the hell out of Nebraska. 37-14 is the final. It was not that close. That is not a true indicator of how competitive that game was. So they end the season with two losses. And again, I'm going, all right, we were not in Miami's class that year, but who was? I mean, this team, we knew they were going to be an all-time roster. Now we truly know in retrospect, as I'll get into a little bit later. 2002 the wheels come off and honestly I'm still doing it's probably because I was a fan of Nebraska and I was just in denial but it wasn't really until 2004 where I understood like oh this is what this program is and that day after Thanksgiving game in 2001 that really is going to be the X marks the spot type arrangement you know this is the before this is the after the after is this is not really a very good football team which has extended into present day unfortunately. But in 2004, they'd fired Frank Solich. They hired Bill Callahan, who was a complete disaster as a coach. We didn't know that at the time. I was kind of just, not that I wanted to move on from Solich, but I was ready for a fresh-ish start. Go, okay, I'll give him a chance. He took the Raiders to the Super Bowl. I mean, Nebraska, maybe a little bit of new blood could do some good. And they lose their home opener that year to Southern Miss, a team that was not good whatsoever. Complete just catastrophe. Or this program that's still in its mind and me as a fan still in my mind, thought, well, oh, we're just, you know, a finger snap away from a playing for national titles again. That was the moment that I was like, oh, okay. This isn't a blip. This is just kind of reality, you know? And it's not always the case that you have a little blip or an extended stretch that suddenly becomes reality. Sometimes it just just is a blip. Um I, I would point to like, we can go to the professional game, but I would point to 2014 Patriots, Kansas city chiefs. It was a Monday nighter. New England had dominated the sport for over a decade already. Brady, he's getting old, you know, the team they've, they're on their 12th iteration of just remaking this roster. Sometimes we're in offense, sometimes defense, sometimes a mismatch. Sometimes this, sometimes that Belichick just doing his masterful coaching, Brady being a really good quarterback, those combinations. I mean, they're winning super bowls and yet they get smashed in that game. 41, 14, Offensive line couldn't block Brady's running for his life. And we know Brady, he's not going to really do a lot if he's under pressure because that's just not in his skill set. So he throws two terrible interceptions in the game. I'm praying because I want new England to go away. You know, they're not my team. And I think when a team just reigns over a sport for a while, if they're not your team sooner rather than later, you're just like, all right, enough kind of move on. You know, that's going to be really applicable as I talk about the 2022 college football season, new England. It's, The worst case scenario of that. I just, I needed him to go. I just wanted him gone. So I didn't sit there going, this is the end of their dynasty. Oh, I'm so happy, but I'm going, I hope this isn't just a blip, you know? I hope this is a sign of things to come. Now, after that game, it's the famous Belichick on to Cincinnati moment. Everybody's asking questions. Why are you guys so bad? Is this the end? Oh, why does Brady look so atrocious? Belichick just goes on to Cincinnati. Who are they playing the next week? On to Cincinnati. Every question, on to Cincinnati. Which now in retrospect, we know That game was just a blip because New England won a bunch more Super Bowls. They continued to dominate the sport. Their reign of terror extended well beyond 2014. It was a sad time for people like me who just wanted them to leave. But sometimes it's a blip. Sometimes it's not. I could trace a trillion different examples to kind of pinpoint that point. But I want to get more into the last 20 years of college football. Because I think it's important to trace the last 20 years of college football in order to contextualize what I want to talk about for the 2022 season, which is the teams that have been in power and who are ripe for maybe moving a little bit down that power ladder. So turn of the century, I've talked about Nebraska. Right around that same time, 2000, 2001-ish, there are two other teams that it just seemed like they would be there forever alongside Nebraska, Miami and Florida State. They were the two, alongside Nebraska, they were the two teams of the 80s and 90s. Those three teams dominated the sport. National titles, top fives, every year, every year. Just these three teams you knew without fail were going to be there during those two decades. Now, there's a couple less than stellar years right at the end of the 1990s for Miami. And Butch Davis comes in, he brings them back in 2000. They're number two in the final rankings. I thought they were the best team in the nation in 2000. Oklahoma wins the national title that year, that's fine. He goes on and takes coaching job in the NFL turns things over to Larry Coker. Now the 2001 team, as I mentioned, was so loaded and they decimated everybody. They had one close game. It was against Boston College. Ed Reed punctuates it, seals it with a pick six to clinch the game. But watching that team, it was an overwhelming collection of talent to the point where I was just like, Miami's always been good. Just based upon watching this team, I can't ever imagine this team cannot recruit the very best talent to this location. That's what everybody thought. On that 2001 team, that ends up whooping the shit out of Nebraska in the Rose Bowl. They have 38 NFL draft picks on that roster. They have 17 first-rounders playing on that team. 17 first-rounders. Round NFL draft choices. We're talking Ed Reed. We're talking Sean Taylor, who tragically died. We're talking Bryant McKinney. We're talking Clinton Portis, Andre Johnson. I could list everybody, and you would recognize them all. And you go, "That's an NFL Hall of Famer. That's an NFL Hall of Famer. That's a NFL All Pro. That's an NFL Pro Bowl." It's just it. It's an insane collection of talent. So they beat Nebraska. The next year, they steam through the season. They go to the national title game. It's against this plucky, scrappy Ohio State team. If you stop it at this point in time, going into that game. I'm just like, there is no way this team will ever be bad in my life. It made no sense that they ever would because they still have that same collection of NFL talent. Seems like they're destined to just pound on the Buckeyes. They lose in a crazy upset, double overtime, controversial pass interference call. Buckeyes win that game. In retrospect, that was the moment. Just like you will never be again in the next 20 years what you are right now on this night. Which is crazy because again, they seem set up for eternity. They just, (laughs) it's a team that had always been good. They will always be good. They can always recruit. They will always have that brand, the U, everybody flashing the U. All NFL or all future NFL players want to show up and be a part of this program and translate that into NFL riches and success. Four years later, they're unranked. Larry Coker's fired since 2006. Miami has finished the season ranked only four times. None of those higher than 13. Just an incredible about face. Just this fall from grace that you could not have predicted. Nobody sitting there in the Fiesta Bowl in 2002 would have sat there and said, you know what? Actually, over the next 20 years, this team's not going to be good at all. It's just a mind-blowing
1: thing, and yet we have lived it. Their contemporary, their rival, Florida State. Similar fall from grace. but just. Not as
0: drastic as Miami. They've had more success within the last 20 years, but
1: it's a similar story from 87 to 2000. This is under Bobby Bowden, one of the best coaches in the history of the sport. Florida State was
0: top five every single year. That is an incredible accomplishment. I can't even even imagine that being possible ever again for any team. Top five team every single year from 1987 to 2000. They have two national titles in that span, 93-99. Beat Nebraska in 93. Very sad game for me. That was the game that got me into the sport. 1999, they beat Virginia Tech. Handful more national titles. They're this close. Taken away because of wide right misses against Miami. Their
1: rival. 2001. In retrospect, that was the moment. The whole season. Seemed like a blip at the time. Again, this is a team that had been good
0: for my entire life. It just seemed like they would always be there. Bobby Bowden was still, uh, he was there, wanted to coach. They go eight and four. They finished 14th that year. Everybody says they'll be fine. I think they'll be fine. And then we realize, in retrospect, that was not a blip, you know? The next nine years, these are the last nine years of Bobby Bowden's career starting in 2001. No top tens. He ends up getting pushed out the door in favor of Jimbo Fisher, who to his credit, Briefly captured magic, most notably with Jameis Winston, won a national title against Auburn. Then the end of his tenure flames out. He leaves in disgrace, unranked. Please text and M. Programs in shambles. They have not finished a season ranked in the last five years. Mike Norvell era, who's now coaching, it's already trending downward. It's the same story as Miami, where I watch the team and I look at them. And if you pulled me back in 2000, I go, This team can always collect talent. They will always be a powerhouse because it's just a fertile recruiting base. They'll always be able to get a coach in there who knows what they're doing. They have resources at their disposal. How would it even be possible that this team could go from what they were
1: in 2000 to what they are in 2002? And yet here we are. There's two other programs that I want to trace. Just to pound this home of
0: sometimes it seems like things will never change until they've changed. And I go, oh, I kind of almost missed that even though I was intently watching it, even as it
1: was happening. There are two other programs that really kind of, there's the programs of, I would say of the 2000s, they're they're
0: two of the programs. Sorry, I should put that better. The first is, in my opinion, the program of the 2000s. USC Trojans under Pete Carroll. A team that had, Been really good years and years and years ago. And then they went through a really dry spell under John Robinson. The 90s was not kind to the USC program. They hire Pete Carroll and it was kind of just this laughing stock hire because he'd been a total piss pants in the NFL. He'd flamed out at New England. And everyone's like, how is this like really once proud program hiring this retread NFL coach who's never coached at college? And now he's gonna come and be good. This makes no sense. It made no sense whatsoever. I was laughing when it happened. And I was a teenager. I ate chili all day. That's how weird this hire seemed. Yet 2001, they're whatever, his first year. But 2002, the resurrection begins. They're 11-2. Carson Palmer, awesome quarterback. Harleys that into a high NFL draft choice. They cap it off with an Orange Bowl win, top five ranking. It was the springboard to just dominance. They split a national title in 2003. They win a solo national title in 2004. And interestingly enough, that solo national title... If you want to go back and talk about the game that clinched it, it was against Oklahoma. It was in South Beach in the Orange Bowl. I was there in the crowd. Front row. Really cool experience for me at the time. Just had people who had more resources and and liked me and brought me along, even though I was this broke down poor uh, person who was trying to get into college. Went there and it was incredible. Just watching them warm up on the field. And it was this Oklahoma team was awesome. I actually thought Oklahoma was going to win that game. Adrian Peterson, it was his freshman year. He was just smashing everybody. And USC dunks on Oklahoma. Not close at any point. Liners throwing it all over the yard. Reggie Bush is there. Lyndell White's there. You know all the players on this team. I remember sitting in the crowd just going, oh my gosh, this team is so fast and physical and how can anyone ever stop them? And it carries over into 2005. It's a lot like the Miami progression kind of. Very next year, they're just swamping everybody. Bush is winning the Heisman. He's the most electric college player I have ever watched. They go into the Rose Bowl, and I'm just like, they're going to win another national title, and now I'm getting sick of them because they've been on the scene for a handful of years, and I want somebody else new. They're upset by the Texas Longhorns in the Rose Bowl in probably my favorite college game ever. Um, and yet it wasn't the end. You know, The run of dominance still continued through the next three seasons. They're top four in every single one. Seems like it's never going to end. It's USC. It's Los Angeles. How easy is it in this location to recruit the very best football talent into Hollywood and say, look at this? And you want to be a part of this? Look at all these people we've sent to the NFL. Look at how much success we've
1: had. Just seemed like it was never going to end. So, Carol's last season, they go nine and four. I'm like, well, that's weird. But still, it's
0: USC. Like, how can you not get the very best? College football players to go to Hollywood. It's sunny all day. There's beautiful people all over. You have anything and everything to do in your free time. If you're good, everybody treats you like kings, like professional athletes. I mean, USC during that stretch was the team. I mean, they superseded the Lakers after Shaq left. So he goes to the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll does, and suddenly it's over. Lynn Kiffin, Steve Sarkisian, Clay Helton. Next decade plus USC's. They're cast out. They're wandering the wilderness, trying to find that success. Failing, 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 failing. I mentioned Texas.
1: That was, they're kind of parallels, much like Miami and FSU. USC and Texas. Interesting to think about that Rose Bowl win.
0: And that was Texas as good as it would get. That was their lone national title during that stretch, but still an incredibly successful run. And that was not the beginning of the end. Because after the 2009 season, It was the same thing. There's just a select few programs, all of whom I've mentioned, except for Nebraska. They're a different story, but Miami, Florida State, USC, Texas, in fertile recruiting areas with immense resources, with passionate fans backing them. And just how could you ever be bad? It doesn't seem possible, especially for me as a young college football fan growing through this. And these teams had always been good. So from 1984 to 1997, Texas was, they were wandering the wilderness. They only had four years ranked within that spell, the highest being 12th. Not a good stretch, almost 15 years. Now, Mac Brown comes over from North Carolina where he had a bunch of success and immediately infuses the talent. That roster is just, you see it immediately start to grow. Oh, this guy's really good at recruiting and he's at Texas. Well, that's a great combination. So he takes over in 1998. And from then through 2009, Texas ranked every year. They ranked in the top 13 10 times, they're ranked in the top six six times. They win that national title in 2005 with Vince Young. In 2009, they make the national title game. They're playing Alabama. I don't think they would have won the game, but there's kind of a big question mark hanging over that game because Colt McCoy, who you all remember, awesome college quarterback, he gets injured in that Rose Bowl game after attempting two passes. They have to play the rest of the game with Garrett Gilbert. Not a fair fight. Alabama wins going away. But again, if you paused that moment in time after that game, just be like, yes, Texas is awesome. They're going to be good for all of time. How could they not be? And then suddenly the following season, the wills are off. The, the stretch in retrospect was the end of that season. Their last nine games, they lose seven of them. And I was like trying to process it at the time to say, like, how are they losing like Kansas State and Iowa State and will, these weird teams? And then Matt Brown's gone after 2013. Carly Strong's in, he's failing. Tom Herman's in, he's failing. Now Steve Sarkeesian's in, rough season one trying to resurrect a program that seems like it had everything at its disposal. You know, it's uh, how did this happen so fast? <laughs> it's fast and not fast. Just I, I can't even process it. Now we're to the point where they have Quinn Ewers, one of the best quarterback recruits. He, he's possibly could be there, starter coming in. They've just signed Arch Manning, the transcendent new Manning. Everybody wants him. Texas the one who signed him. Everybody's hopeful. They're going, okay, the turnaround. It's right around the corner. And I'm going, maybe, could be, definitely. but. Is this false hope that you've been subsisting on for the last almost 15 years? Is it rearing its ugly head again? I don't know. I don't know. I hope not because I actually bet Texas to win the Big 12 this year. And if it's just another season of false hope, I'm going to be very angry about that. So now we transition into the present season. The reason that I've spent 20 minutes talking about the past is because it is very applicable to the present. And you all know because you listen to this, I want change in college football in pretty much every way. And the one thing I want to talk about in today's show is I'm always in search of change at the top of the sport, that cycle that goes, that always will happen. Even if sometimes it seems like it's taken a trillion years, suddenly I'll look five years down the road and look back and go, oh, it is very different. And I can't
1: believe that Miami's gone or Florida State is gone or Nebraska has gone or USC is gone, or Texas is gone. So I look at 2022, and I look at the last decade or last five years, and I go, there are,
0: in my opinion, five teams that have defined the sport. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. Three of those, the very first three I mentioned, seem like they're set up for eternity. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. They can recruit. They have unlimited resources. They have been so
1: good for what seems like so long. It seems impossible to upseat or uproot them from where they are. Now, that may be true. That may not be true. We don't
0: really know because if you go back and look at what I just talked about, there are always moments where I go, "This just will never end," and then a year later, or three years later, or whatever the time frame was, I look back and go, "Oh, this." didn't. I can't believe it. Now, the two teams that I mentioned at the end, those are the two that I really want to talk about for today. And the two that I really am interested in watching in the 2022 season. Because as you look at this cycle of power and you go, who is ripe to fall and who would replace them?
1: These are the two you look at based upon last year, Clemson, Oklahoma. Now, these are both interesting teams and I'll start with Clemson. Clemson is a really good illustration
0: of, I think it's the Batman quote. I'm pretty sure it's Batman. You either die here or live long enough to become the villain. They're a great personification of that quote. Because for me, they were the coolest story until they weren't. They were the usurper. They were the upstart that was coming in and trying to knock Alabama off their throne. And they did. And it was so rad and refreshing. I bet their future and I was so fired up about it. And I was just like, this is awesome. You know, this program rose out of nothing. They hadn't been good since 1980. And then Dabble Sweeney comes in and constructs a national title contender. It was a really thrilling story and a really hopeful story for a lot of teams that were always told, no, 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 you can't enter that inner circle. Clemson entered the inner circle and thus gave hope to a lot of teams like a, an Oregon or somebody going, oh, so you can do that if you have resources and recruit in just the right way and get just the right quarterback in like they did with first Deshaun Watson, then Trevor Lawrence. Now, last year, by Clemson's standards of the last decade, which have been incredible, they were bad by those standards. Again, they were 10 and three. That's a good record. If you also watch them play last year, you go, that was not a very good football team. Their defense was awesome. One of the best defenses in the nation. Their offense was a complete and utter train wreck. It was atrocious. I mean, it was 103rd in the nation yards per play. It was 82nd in the nation in points per play. There are a lot of other stats that are even worse than that that I go on to illustrate. I don't care to. You get the point. Now, even after that 10 and three, underwhelming by their standard season, comes and comes into this year, and the coaches poll, which was just released this week, has them at number four. They're saying, hey, we trust a bounce back. Defense is going to be just as good. DJ Uyghilayli, their starting quarterback, he can't be as bad. And if he is, it doesn't matter. They got a five-star case or Chase Klubnik waiting in the
1: wings. Cade Klubnik, sorry. And the trust is last year was a blip. That's what that ranking tells me.
0: That's kind of what the Vegas win total tells me, which it's set at 10.5. It's plus 100 to the over. But Vegas' expectations is, okay, they're going to be right around 10 to 11 wins. That's what we expect. And that's, I can't tell if that's because Vegas is saying, no, no, no. This team last year was a blip and we trust Ven or we trust Dabble Sweeney to right this ship and their schedule's pretty easy. They have Notre Dame in non-conference. That'll be tough, but it's an ACC schedule. That's not a good conference. The two toughest games, in my opinion, they're NC State, they're Miami. They're both in Death Valley. The really favorable schedule for a team that A, wants to rebound and B, wants to throw themselves back into the national title hunt. Now, there's a problem. They have had coaching turnover in the last two years. One of the staples that has really boosted and powered the Clemson engine over the last decade. While everybody else, including the team at the top, Alabama, we know they're just cycling coordinators on both sides of the ball. They're all going off and coaching elsewhere. Lane Kiffin, Kirby Smart, you know the drill. But Saban's the same at the top. Much like Belichick, just installed a structure so perfect that they could weather any storm as long as Saban is there.
1: Dabble Sweeney, He's been the CEO and he gave freedom for all of his coordinators. They paid them a lot of money and said,
0: look, you have free reign to do what you want on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball. And we're going to pay you a hell of a lot of money. And we're going to win a lot doing this. And it worked immensely. Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott on the offensive side as co-offensive coordinators, Brent Venables as defensive coordinator throughout that entire run. All three of those are now gone. Venables takes a job with Oklahoma, who we'll get to. Jeff Scott's now the head coach at South Florida. Tony Elliott is now the head coach for Virginia. So now the thing that they'd always pointed to and said, just this is what kind of sets us apart. We have coaching stability in a way that no other program can boast. We have three high level coordinators and a great CEO style head coach who's great at recruiting. And the last decade has just borne the fruits of that. Now there's a lot of that gone. So going into this year, I go, all right, this is one of the teams I'm really interested to watch because I want to know, was last year a blip or was last year a sign of things to come? We won't know until we watch more, but it's really, it's it's a cool crossroads season for this program. Could just be, oh, 10 and three. Yeah, we'll laugh at that five years down the road because Clemson's back in the national title race every year and we'll laugh and go, everybody thought that 10-3 and year was so bad. Everybody would kill for a 10-3 and season with the exception of five teams.
1: It's really funny that people thought that would be a blip. Now, the other team that I want to talk about for the
0: 2022 season is the one who Brent Venables, former defensive coordinator of Clemson,
1: now the head coach at the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, this is the one team Much, Actually, they're not the one team, just like Clemson. I think the easiest thing in retrospect to trace, as we
0: see a team that was so good and so powerful suddenly
1: become not that. Easiest thing to understand is coaching turnover. For Clemson, it could be coordinator stuff. For Oklahoma, we go, okay, a high-level coach, moved on. Lincoln Riley, one of the best
0: coaches in the sport. Stunned everybody out of the blue by saying, I'm going to USC. Not only that, I'm taking a bunch of key pieces with me. Most notably, Caleb Williams, who is going to be a really high draft choice at quarterback when he decides to enter the NFL draft. He's gone. A lot of other players went along with Lincoln Riley. Now, coaches poll, which came out this week, they still have pretty high hopes for this team. They're top 10, number nine in the coaches poll. And last year, it wasn't up to the same Lincoln Riley standards that we've had over the last five years. But they were 11-2. and Again, almost every team would kill for an 11-2 record. If Nebraska went 11-2, and I would run naked through the streets of Utah for two months straight.
1: The only losses on the schedule there, they were the two best teams, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Again, only by the standards that Oklahoma has set
0: through the Lincoln-Riley area, and even back into the Bob Stutz era at the turn of the century, would you look at that 11-2 and year and go, ah, you didn't really beat anybody who was that good. Okay, Texas, okay. Oregon in your Alamo bowl that who knows who was really trying, but you lost to the two teams that were good on your schedule. You didn't really beat anyone else. That's how you could look at Oklahoma's 2021 season this year. I go, okay, complete staff overhaul complete and a pretty intense roster overhaul as well. Talent out the door. I think there's 15 grad or 15 transfers coming in that are expected to play large roles on this team. You don't, it's a crazy cocktail mix. I could see anything happening. You go, what does the offensive look like? Well, Dylan Gabriel is one of those transfers. You remember him as the starting quarterback at UCF. This is a lot of talent? I mean, kind of a lot of good, some bad. He's one of those style of quarterbacks. Jeff Lebby also came over from UCF, their offensive coordinator. So you're basically getting the UCF experience on the offensive side of the ball. Is that translatable? What does that mean? We'll see. What does the defense look like? Well, we know Brent Venables can recruit and coach on defense. How long does that take? Because the one knock on Oklahoma under Riley was you guys never got your defense to the standard that it needed to be in order to truly win the national title. You were making playoffs, you were always there, you winning the big 12, you' were always doing that. But when you want to separate yourself from Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State, You need that extra little blip and you didn't necessarily have that on the defensive side of the ball. That's where I think Oklahoma can be really interesting because Venables is a hell of a coach and he knows defensive talent and he can recruit it. So it will be very interesting to see, can he transform this program on that side of the ball in a way that they were always lusting after while also maintaining maybe not the same high octane offensive standards that Lincoln Riley had top three-ish offense
1: every single year but can you have a top 20 offense with this UCF mix and go from there? The schedule, I mean, it's probably similar to Clemson's. Their hardest non-conference game, it's at Nebraska. That game could be hard. It
0: could be the easiest thing ever. You never know with Nebraska. They're the best 3-9 team in the history of football last year. Their Vegas win total is set at 7.5, insinuating we expect a big bounce back. I think their team could be pretty good. You know, a top 40-ish team. They also could be the worst team in the nation. You just never know with the Cornhuskers. But if that's your hardest non-conference game, okay, you can work with that. Conference schedule, it's your usual array of games in the Big 12 that Oklahoma's going to be favored, but not by a ton. They'll be prone to upsets. What happens there will ultimately determine
1: are you going to beat your Vegas win total of 9.5, which is shaded to the over at minus 125. These are the two teams. Oklahoma, is the coaching change a sign of things to come? Or is it just going to be business as
0: usual? Oklahoma, they're on a 20-year run of stability and dominance within the Big 12, even on the national scene, even though that's only had one national title in that span. Only, again, all programs with the exception of about five would kill for only one national title every 20 years. But from Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley, now to Brent Venables, does that run of stability continue without a problem? Or is this coaching change a sign of things to come? That's the question that I have going on. One of the main, main storylines of the 2022 season for me. Who's going to rise? Who's going to fall? It's cool for just this year. It's cool because you can trace it and stretch it in five-year increments, both into the past and in the future. Five-year increments, 10-year increments, 20-year increments, like I said at the top of the show. Sometimes it can be even longer
1: than that. But as I say, okay, let's say one of the, one of or both these teams, it, it's not just a blip. This is...
0: An actual transition from one of the very best teams at the tippy top of the sport to being maybe a really good team, maybe not a great team, maybe just an average team, maybe a bad team like Nebraska's fallen into. You never know. But if that happens, who are the teams that are going to rise? The teams that are floating around the periphery that are wanting to step into that elite tier. There's a bunch of those. Again, this is a really just interesting rabbit hole that I can go down for all of time. I'm like, okay, yeah. USC with Lincoln Riley, that's a great candidate. I would probably bet on them over anybody. But Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman, I'm very intrigued by what they're doing. Penn State with James Franklin, okay. Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, a great team of just, they're recruiting at the level that you need. They're recruiting at a level that Alabama and Georgia are recruiting at. If they can continue to do that, can they translate that into success? It wouldn't shock me if a and is at the start of where Georgia was five years ago with Kirby Smart. When he started recruiting like Alabama and we went, holy shit, That's pretty impressive but also you need to translate that on the field. And then five years later, we're going, it's almost hard to not translate that if you recruit that well, when your recruiting class is first or second every single year and your roster is stocked to the brim with future NFL draft choices. Wouldn't shock me if a was that. It also wouldn't shock me if they flame out and everybody's mad at Jimbo and he retires in disgrace and Texas A&M is sitting there going, how can we have this many resources in a fertile recruiting state and just not have success to the level of our expectations over Chris Rawls' entire lifetime, pretty much. Michigan, Oregon, even a team like Texas or Miami, teams that have coaching changes and reason to hope, much like USC, you know? Texas, okay, we're recruiting really well. Sark, second year,
1: let's, let's take off. Miami, Mario Cristobal, great recruiter. What does that mean in Miami? We'll see. These are all incredible things to be tracking as We enter the 2022 season
0: in a sport that, as I've talked about a lot, is really in a state of upheaval. You know, I've talked a lot about off-field stuff. Just what does realignment mean? What does NIL mean? What does all of this just turmoil mean for the sport in general? That's for another show, but that's important to remember, and it's actually kind of a point that I want to end on. It's important to remember in the context of each individual team trying to rise or trying to retain your position within present-day college football, which is very different from 2015, 2010, 2000, 1990, go on down the list. Present-day college football, that is a murkier sport than it has ever been. So what does that mean for each individual school that is looking to carve out their own niche? I'm not really sure, but it's something something to think about and be cognizant of because I don't think anybody really knows the answer to that question. Just what is this sport and what does it mean for each individual team trying to rise or trying to retain their seat at the elite, elite college football tier? It's kind of the point of the sport heading into 2022. Upheaval, what does it mean for sport as a whole, but what does it mean for my school, you know? So let's end with a quote. It comes from a story Uh, that Kevin Clark at The Ringer wrote. And I want you to think about this in the context of everything I've talked about in today's show. Just imagine trying to stay afloat or carve out your niche or retain your seat of power in the state of this college football. So here it comes from Kevin Clark. Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports wrote, no one is in charge for all the billions of dollars, millions of fans and boundless passion that surround college football that has always been its glaring and bizarre flaw. No one is looking out for the greater good of the game. No one is guiding the sport toward long-term prosperity and short-term sensibility. No one is building consensus in channeling all of the ratings, financial success, and popularity toward an outcome that is positive for everyone in the sport." And then Kevin Clark says this, Ammo wrote that in 2011, during the first wave of the realignment boom, and it is more true now than it was then. Thank you for listening to the Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. We are so close to football season. I can't even wait. I wrote about the NFL. Actually, I wrote about a great idea for the NFL that involves ayahuasca and retreats for fans in my latest newsletter. You should go and read it. It's at chrisrawl.com. If you've not subscribed, you should go and do that. Also at chrisrawl.com, just hit the subscribe button, put your email address in and voila, there you go. Thank you again for listening. I enjoy this immensely. We are two-ish weeks away from football season. Hell yeah. Until then, I will talk to you
1: on Tuesday.